Hello, Woolwork friends. How are you? I am here. I have a different setup, so I apologise if it sounds a bit odd today. Um, wow, I am both not ready to record a podcast and simultaneously have tons of things I need to say. Uh, so first, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. There is no wool exploration with Zwartblizz. Uh, so if you missed out on that, or you thought you missed out on that, um, go and fill in your uh, Google form with your Swatch uh, review. Uh, wool exploration is taking a short hiatus. Oh, I mean, who am I kidding? A longer hiatus is a better description. It's been a long time, I know. Apologies for my, um, if you hear my laptop fan in the background. Uh, this house is in a bit of a disarray because we are moving again. Hurrah! Um, uh, which is another reason why Will Exploration is taking a longer hiatus. Uh, if you are rejoining us for this episode, regular listener, you are very welcome. And if this is your first time joining the Woolwork podcast, you're very welcome. Uh, do come in. I hope you'll stay a while. Um, this podcast is all about celebrating the value that is in every stage of the... Sorry, Jeremy is climbing the boxes. Jeremy is going to be the mischievous cat this episode, I think. Where was I? Yes, Woolwork podcast is all about celebrating the value and the hard work and skills and knowledge that go into every part of the process from sheep to skein to finished item um, and the value that of craftsmanship at every level too and that's you and me. We're skilled craftspeople. But also if you're new to this podcast and if you aren't new but you need a reminder it's really important to say in case you've forgotten Black lives matter. Trans lives matter. Black trans lives matter. It shouldn't need repeating, but it does. I can't hardly begin to address all of the things that have happened since the, in the world since this last episode of the podcast. But from the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis... Just one name, just one life that has been lost this this year alone. But his murder by police just ignited something nationally, internationally, globally. There has been the most incredible activism and... It's going to make a change. It is making a change. Um, you know, if you're sitting here listening to this and you're saying, I don't know enough or I'm not doing enough, there's no better time. Make a donation to Black Lives Matter. Make a donation to local charities in your area who are doing this work. Crack a book, read a book, you know, learn something. Try and find a way to unpick your own bias 
and your own prejudice if you are a non-black person, if you are a white person. Address your privilege. Find a way so that you can be the change that's needed. We're all not doing enough, but and we can all do more. Do that good work. If you are in the UK, there are lots of anti-racism charities that you can and organisations that you can support right now. Stop Hate UK uh, is a charity that provides support to those affected by hate crime. Um, it was set up as a di- direct response to the murder of Stephen Lawrence. www.stophateuk.org um, They've got a donate button. UKBlackPride.org.uk um, UK Black Pride advocates, fights, supports and celebrates LGBTQ people of colour. Black Pride has been cancelled because of coronavirus, as so many um, events have, um, but you can donate to fund future events as well as supporting community and hardship funds. Uh, black Minds Matter or raising money to support black people through um, who are struggling with their mental health. They've got a GoFundMe page. If you go to GoFundMe.com and search Black Minds Matter, really important charity, helping people deal with the effects of racial discrimination in this country and the effects that it has on individuals. You know, the NHS is at crisis point and we know that the the wait, waiting times for, for mental health care are really, 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 really long. So uh, Black Minds Matter use the money that's raised to pay for full therapy sessions for those who need it. And, and Black Lives Matter UK, the official UK chapter of the global Black Lives Matter movement. You can donate to UK Black Lives Matter Fund again at gofundme.com. Um, and there are so many more, you know, there there will be so much so much more fundraising that's going on locally and individual fundraising too. Um, so please look, if you're sitting there thinking I'm not doing enough, look, donate. It doesn't matter if it's not £100 or £1, £2, £3, £4, £5. It will make a difference. I also want to just give a shout out to Small Trans Library smalltranslibrary.org there's one in Glasgow, there's one in Dublin Uh, it's essentially a small lending library of trans authored books for trans people and um, you can donate a book or you can um, support them financially you know there's a a wish list um, for both the Dublin small trans library and the Glasgow small trans library Um, I just think it's absolutely brilliant um organisation. I send money when I can. They also have a grocery fund, which, you know, for during the current crisis, but but also um, at other times as well, grocery and supply funds for trans people who are out of work or struggling. So smalltranslibrary.org. Um, again, as I say, like read a book, pick up a book. Um, uh, one that I have read constantly recently is Jennifer Eberhardt's Biased and you can it's incredibly written it tells us why we have why we hold bias and what we can do to to change that behavior 
Um, did Jennifer Eberhardt as a, as a great TED Talk as well. Um, another book that I'm currently reading is Diversify by June Sarpong, which has really good personal challenges um, and activities that you can do, uh, which is really good. And um, another book that I've just finished reading is Emma Dibbery, um Don't Touch My Hair, which is an absolutely incredibly well-researched history of black hair and told through a celebration but obviously looking in depth at the oppression related to to black women black people and their hair um i really recommend that that book most books bookshops booksellers have uh, really good lists of recommended reading. Uh, one of my favourite uh, booksellers is Lighthouse Books in Edinburgh and they have brilliant reading lists um, for all subjects, but uh, particularly their feminist, anti-racist, intersectional activist um, reading lists are really good. Um, so again, um, I, I uh, heartily recommend you have a look. Right, more tough stuff to talk about. Um, like I say, a lot's happened. Um, coronavirus not going anywhere. Some places are easing lockdown. Some places are going into their second or third phases of lockdown um, because of how the virus is. It's not even a second wave. It's just the continuing wave Waves can travel for miles. One wave can travel extraordinary miles. And I think that this is something we're going to have to learn to live with for a long time. I hope you are well, dear listeners. I really, really do. And I hope if you have been unwell, that you have help. Um, my strongest wish for us all, I say at the end of every episode, take good care. And taking good care during coronavirus, washing your hands and wearing a mask. For those of us who can wear a mask, my employer strongly recommends we wear masks. I appreciate that there are many people who can't wear masks, but the anti-mask shit that's going on, holy crap. You're telling me that wearing a mask infringes on your rights? There's a fucking virus, deadly virus. So if you don't want to wear a mask and you're open to catching a virus, that's fine. But wearing a mask protects me from you. And I think about that as well. When I wear a mask, I'm protecting others from anything that I may or may not be carrying. Who the fuck knows? You know, this thing is evolving all the time. Um, if you're not wearing a mask, it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous this isn't something that you can laugh off this isn't something that's going away it's here and we have to learn to live with it and part of learning to live with it is wearing a mask and washing your dirty hands Just lost for words well or apparently not plenty of f-bombs about it so much is lying heavy at the moment and one thing that's laying heavy on the many communities that are concerned with knitting and craft is what's happening with Ravelry. 
For those of you who listen to this podcast who aren't on Ravelry, and I know that there are lots of you who aren't on Ravelry, there have been changes that have been made, not just little changes, but major changes that have been made to the user interface of Ravelry that has changed the contrast, the colours, um, the fonts. Broadly, I liked I liked it, but immediately... I began to have a migraine. Um, there are people who have had seizures. There are people who have had migraines. There are people who experience dizziness, um, eye strain. So Ravelry, you know, beloved to many, many of us. Um, how many million? I can't remember now. Is it eight, nine? What, what did they do when people started saying this? They didn't embrace them, that's for sure. They didn't say... Oh my God, we're sorry. They've continued with an attitude that is so unlike what we've come to expect from Ravelry that is so not supportive of the many diverse people who have said, this is having an effect on me. It's six weeks later and they brought the option to switch to, quotes classic Ravelry. Classic Ravelry is very strange because it isn't really like Classic Ravelry. There's something going on in the background there that drags at my eyeballs and gives me eye strain after a few minutes of looking. There's something strange about Classic Ravelry, although Ravelry say it is, it is old Ravelry. It's not. It's definitely not. I can't get... I, I really just can't understand why there hasn't been more humble pie eating and more apologies being made and more... I mean, they're certainly doing bits and pieces. They've changed some of the colours. They've, you know, taken away drop shadows, although I've noticed that drop shadows are now on Classic Rav, where there was no drop shadows before. I, I can't even go into it all, but here's where I am with it. 2008, I joined Ravelry, and that seems like yesterday uh, but it opened up a whole new world to me like so many of us and over six years ago I opened the Ravelry group and boom again my world was opened up to knowledge and skill and camaraderie and experience and friendship and it was a community and there's a lot of talk about the knitting community. We are many communities. We share an interest in knitting. We share skills and um, a love of sticks and string or hooks and string. Um, but there are many communities that make up this knitting world. And the Ravelry group for the pod, excuse me, for the podcast became an incredible community. And, you know, again, on a, on a whole, Ravelry became this amazing space of stitchers and hookers and yarn lovers and spinners and dyers and designers. And no matter where you were from, introverted or extroverted or extroverted introverts or introverted extroverts, you know, we all, many of us felt we had a home there. And so after seeming to be so inclusive and so supportive... I feel so let down. Five years ago, we did the first Hapalong 
And four years ago, we did the book of Haps Along. And on Instagram, you can sort of look back in your archive and all of these haps from five, four and five years ago are appearing in my archive and it makes me feel joy and it makes me feel sad because the hap along would never have happened if it wasn't for Ravelry, particularly the first one. You know, we talked about it for a long time before it was organised and actually Ravelry formed part of the rules for that because anything that was described as a hap on Ravelry, you could knit. Wool exploration and the breed swatch along would not have happened without Ravelry because the whole idea was to create project pages on Ravelry talking about different breed wools so that more people who used Ravelry would find out more about the wool that we were using and about local wool and breed wool. And I don't know what to say or do about this as a whole, other than I'm heartbroken. I'm absolutely heartbroken. It seems that Ravelry has turned its back on the communities that it created. And I'm mad that I'm not able to spend time on there. I am I am a migraine sufferer. I suffer from headaches. I suffer from eye strain. And I know lots of you are also suffering even worse in terms of seizures and dizziness and vertigo. I've downloaded my entire Ravelry library and I have currently just uploaded it to the cloud and I need to deal with putting that into order. Last episode, you heard me talk about how I love to do the searches on Ravelry and I love to limit it to all of my likes, my my preferred wool, my preferred needle size and my preferred this and that. To feel like I won't be able to use that. I mean, it seems like there's no going back here. I mean, I'd love to think that Ravelry are going to make the changes that we need, but I I feel like too much time has passed. And one of the things, when I was downloading my library, one of the things I was thinking about is, why has this designer not said anything about what's happening with Ravelry? Why has that designer not said posted on Instagram or Twitter or their blog and said, we don't expect this from Ravelry either and we're also going to raise our concerns. There are lots of designers and yarn businesses too who have spoken out and uh, KTB38, KTB has done an incredible amount of advocating for those of us who are affected by Ravelry has done an incredible amount of um, work and research into um, what's going on. Um, And she has had, you know, mud slung at her from Cassidy. And Cassidy, I don't want to get into the things that Cassidy has been saying. Sometimes you don't know the battles that people are fighting personally that make them act or say things in the way that they do. But whilst there are designers and yarn companies who are being very active on social media, but they're, you know, they're mainly small designers, small yarn companies. I'm not hearing a lot from the bigger designers and the bigger yarn companies. You know, I would also say that these designers and yarn companies that I'm talking about have stood at the forefront of different conversations and said, 
I am inclusive. We are a diverse company. We support people at every intersection. It's just weird. I know. I I, I know it's easy for me to say that that's might be the case because I know that the, that income from Ravelry is one of the most the biggest things here, and also, you know, let's say it, friendships of these bigger designers and bigger yarn companies and the founders of Ravelry and Team Rav, you know, that's got to play a part in it as well. And positions are difficult, but this is affecting a lot of people uh, and a lot of people who have contributed to the incomes of those designers and yarn companies. And I find it, as much as I've lost confidence in Ravelry, I have lost confidence in a lot of those designers there, if you are a designer, there is an open letter, uh, which if you are on Instagram, the designer who has created the letter is Sarah M. Goodwin Designs. And she's got a Google Doc in her, I'll try and put a link to it in the show notes, uh, an open letter from designers to Ravelry. And there are hundreds of designers who have signed it. And again, many of them will be names that are not familiar to you. They should be, because these are the designers who are using their voices and their admittedly smaller platforms to shout out that this is wrong and this is having an effect on them. And uh, it is a very useful document to know who to support um, in the future, I think. Maybe I'll edit that out, the bit about the bigger designers who have been chums with Ravelry and the bigger designers who have stood and been active for other causes, but not this. But probably I won't because it's true and there's not enough of us who are saying it. Um, I don't necessarily want them to say, oh, boo, Ravelry, you're so bad. I just want them to say, I support you, my customer. Here are other places where you can buy my patterns. Or, you know, here are other places where you can form part of my community that are off Ravelry. That is important. I have huge thanks for the designers who have moved their designs off Ravelry and are working on making their designs available elsewhere. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do that. Even if, you're a, even if you only have a few patterns, it's a lot of work to do that. I, my hat is off to you. Um, I see a lot of designers who are using PayHip to sell patterns and I bought one the other day um, from Knit Knitosophy, uh, Jamie Hoffman, um, beautiful V-neck, a V-back DK sweater and I, it was a, a great experience using PayHip. I see lots of other designers um, doing similar. So the more that kind of thing happens is great. Lots of group members, group hosts are hosting their groups off Ravelry. Mighty Networks seems to be a good place to host groups and I have joined the Everyday Knitter. That's Louise Tilbrook's group that used to be on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, so it's nice to join that. They that the few that I've joined, it looks kind of like its own little Instagram Facebook type thing. Obviously the Woolwork group on Ravelry is an important place for many of us. But I can't use it at the moment. And I posted on there the other day about this. I, I don't know what to do about that. I, you know, I can download my patterns. 
I can download my stash. I can't download all of the incredible information that has gone into the Woolwork Ravelry group. So that's hard. It's really hard, isn't it? Because we've just become come to know Ravelry as a home. Uh, and, you know, there have been alternatives to Ravelry that have been mooted over the past few years. And what was the general reaction? Not great. You know, as a, we were like, well, we've got Ravelry. What more do we need? Um, so, yeah, it's it's really hard and strange and I think there's a lot more going on there than we know. Uh, there was a a, Ravel, a blog uh, post from Jessica, co-founder, uh, which after all this time felt a little bit too little too late, but was very, was apologetic, but there wasn't a heck of a lot of action points I felt. Um, there was a lot of sympathy for those who are struggling with it. But I I didn't hear a lot of action points. So I'm still not sure what's going on there. And I still can't spend time on the site. So I'm very sorry, Woolwork community, especially if you feel also abandoned by Ravelry. And I'm sorry for all the Cal's past and future. Um, I'm thinking about how we can host wool exploration, although I'll come back to that because I have thoughts on that. Um, But uh, until the site's more accessible, I will not be using Ravelry. And those are six words I never thought I would say. I do need to try and find a way to host a forum and I will be looking into things like that. Um, So be patient with me. Talking about visual inaccessibility and accessibility in general, um, another interesting topic that came up again, it comes up regularly, um, is about financial accessibility to patterns, yarns, kits and so on. Um, A couple of weeks ago, there was a post about a new Andrea Maori cardigan, which has a kit uh, with spin cycle yarns, which would cost upwards of about £300, I think it was, or $300. There were calls to that, comments on that post calling for designers to list other yarns. Um, Responses um, (laughs) where people were asserting that dyers and designers should lower their prices. In some quarters was looked upon as an attack on designers, on dyers, on craft, on women. Um, Listen, I've got thoughts on on all of that. Um, But something that I always say is that your skills have value. How many times do I say that? From growing wool to making yarn, spinning, dyeing, designing, creating, all skills therein have value value and should have an appropriate price tag attached. Something else that I often say is no matter if you only knit garter or you knit lace or colour work, whatever your level, if that's the right word, um, or whatever your MO, 
You're an expert craftsperson and you are finally honing your skill with every item you make, no matter if it's the same stitch every single time. The material that you choose to make with, that is up to you. Wool is my bag. Uh, Cotton may be yours or acrylic or alpaca or blended. I will never stop talking about wool and I'll never stop defending your right to use whatever material you like or that is available to you. Let's not forget that that is a big factor about what's available to you. There is privilege to having to choosing only wool and I do recognise that and craft is privileged in many, many ways. Um, there is language issues around wool and craft and material too. Yarn snobbery is one that I don't really like. But also there is that outward view from some quarters that wool is too expensive and it's exclusive and it's privileged um, and it's kind of snobbery in those terms rather than I have a lot of wool and I really like wool and I'm a snob. There's that kind of insidiousness to using that terminology to describe someone's stash. Um, and, you know, materials are ex- are expensive. Again, um, they should carry an appropriate price tag for the work that goes into them. But I've always said that there is a wool yarn for most budgets. And if you go into the website, there are blog posts on yarns for under a fiver, yarns for under a tenner and more. Um, when we talk about privilege and wool, I'm going to divert a little bit here. Um, during COVID-19, wool prices in the UK have crashed. 15 to 20 pence per fleece. And that's dependent on the breed and the quality. Now, we put value on wool. I say we, I'm talking about me and most of you who listen to this podcast because you also love wool. We have, a we place a prestige on wool that we like to knit with. We we know if we like a merino or we know if we like a good sturdy workhorse wool or we want something with a bit of drape. We can appreciate wool and where it's come from and we appreciate that we put a prestige on the wool that comes off the sheep's back. But wool is costing farmers money. Um, and we know that the, the prestige that we put on wool does not reflect, is not reflected in the price that farmers are getting for wool at the moment. It's soul-destroying as I say, wool production is costing farmers money. And I don't have wise words to say about this. I just hope that anyone who views wool as expensive and as a prestige item, as a privileged item, I do hope that your heart breaks a little bit when you hear how little farmers are getting for it. This year in particular, we know that there is an issue with the amount of money that farmers get for wool. But this year in particular... It's horrific. Anyway, I I diverted again. Um, But financial accessibility to patterns and kits. Um, Personally, I think 
I, lo- I, I love it when a designer lists different yarns that could be used or shows test knits of different yarns. And there's quite a few uh, designers who do this on social media. They will share um, what people have made um, and, and what material that they've made it in. Um, I love that. And I love to read language surrounding what a designer feels a yarn for this project should be like, how it should feel or how it should hang or what kind of structure it needs. Um, And I personally don't think that it's too much to offer that. Because if you offer that, if you give an insight, if you say, "Here's here's another yarn, it's a little bit cheaper, or here's another yarn that will give you the same results, that opens up your design for more people. Knitting magazines have been doing it for years. They will have often, I mean, I say they will have often, I haven't had a knitting magazine in quite some time, but usually there is the yarn that it's made in, that it's photographed with, and then there will be swatches or suggestions of other yarns that you could use and often are listed by price. And that is spectacular. And I've always appreciated that. And again, I love the idea of describing how a yarn should be or feel or look. That is something that is important to us with wool exploration. We describe the feel of the swatch, the fabric, um, and I encourage vocabulary on all of those things. And I also say if you don't know which word describes it best because we are creating a new vocabulary, then tell us what yarn it is like so that we can have a comparison in mind. So wool explorers have been exploring ideas about similarities um, of wool for quite some time and there has been some great tips that could be used um, for yarn substituting. And I have seen a lot of posts in these conversations that say it's, it's not the designer's job to suggest substitutions um, and that that's up to the knitter to do. Let me be crystal clear Not all knitters are confident when it comes to substituting yarn. Believe it, okay? It takes a lot of knitting with a lot of different yarns to build up that knowledge. Um, And we've all been there. We've all done it. We've all had the mistake where we've thought another yarn would be great for a pattern and it's not had the right structure. It's not had the right drape. It's not just not been a fabric, made a fabric that was suitable for that item. Not all knitters can substitute yarn confidently. I have a real problem with that offhand comment that it's not up to the designers, all knitters can sub. Um, Because again, if you offer more suggestions, if you, you know, say a yarn like a Shetland or a yarn like a BFL or a yarn like a merino that creates an understanding in any knitter's mind okay I'm gonna need something buttery I'm gonna need something sturdy I'm gonna you know I don't believe that it should be up to the knitter to do that and again if you make those suggestions if you add a couple of words or a sentence here or there in your pattern or in your um description you open it up to more people. You include more knitters, more crafters. And ultimately, that's an incredible thing, isn't it?
this thing about yarn substitution, though, I I have been thinking about if wool exploration can assist some way in that. And I need to think more about this and I'll do it after we've moved. Um, you know, it's always been the plan to have a wool exploration website where I collate all of the information into really helpful pages. And that is going to happen one day, but it's not going to happen immediately. And I've said that from the beginning. Um, you know, currently the best way to hear about that is listen to the podcast. And again, I know that I appreciate that's a barrier for some people. And I also appreciate, side note, all of the people who have said that they would be interested in helping out with that. Again, I appreciate it. I'm just not there yet. Um, and, you know, the the, the website is going to change soon too to eventually will be Woolwork um, website. You know, it is confusing that at the moment it's still knitbritish.net. All these things take time. However, with regards to wool exploration, I think that there could be a, a way to have a light version of our findings and something that is more accessible. Um, I could create a wool exploration Instagram account and I could create short overall reviews using suggestions from the wool exploration research that we've created about what the breed wool is like in terms of fabric, in terms of comparison with other yarns. We could also use images with the permission of wool explorers who have submitted images. I feel like that would work well and I feel like it would be work well in an Instagram format. Um, it wouldn't be in depth, it wouldn't be to the lengths that we discuss it on the podcast, but it would be easily digestible information so again i need to think about that a little bit more but i'm keen to know what you think um i mean again right now i just imagine that it would be an overall quick digestible view so not one person's review per se but just some collated words um if you have been a wool explorer and you have thoughts about that let me know if you are think that would be a useful thing to have um, to have access to let me know there is a new email address for the podcast it is woolworkpodcast at gmail.com you could write me an email and let me know you can still use the contact form on the website but I've recently found that something's gone wrong with it and it's not forwarding me my, uh, the the emails that you the messages that you send via that contact form which is not helpful and I only find out um, recently when I logged on and saw that there was a a red flag of messages that I hadn't hadn't read um so yeah that to me seems like it would be useful and again while it would take time it wouldn't take as much time as the website version is going to take and it could be something that we could share and it could be something that could contribute to wider understanding of wool for the purposes of many things, but yarn substitution being one such thing. Um, so let me know what you think about that. I've just spilled water down my front. <laughs> Classy. Um, there are were other things that I was going to talk about today, but I think we'll probably leave 
the heavy stuff there. Um, I want to say thank you to those of you who answered my question last week about, last week, last episode, about how you are finding crafting during coronavirus. I was finding it difficult. I didn't want to put pressure on myself to make a big project during lockdown. I didn't want to put pressure on myself to create something or finish something. Um, And I found that my focus was best put on small projects. So I have my um, Treasures from the Forest Path Hap by Patricia Fortune that still just gets a row knit here and there. I found my lush cardigan that I had um, squirreled away. So I've been, you know, just doing a few rows on that every now and again. I did cast on the Ursa sweater by Jacqueline Seaslack. And I think I, you know, when we're talking about accessibility, um, I think I mentioned last time that there are 14 different yarn suggestions um, for that pattern by the designer, which are all organised by affordability which is really 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 good i cast that on in a donegal tweed um which i bought from this is knit which got delivered to the wrong house and i was like where is my yarn um and that is i just i'm doing that slowly again it's uh you know oh, sorry that's my chair making noises um i just don't want you to think i'm farting uh so yeah small and often just little projects that I can chop and change between that don't require a lot of attention and many of you got in touch to say the same thing but unfortunately you said so and Ravelry and I can't have a look back so I would normally tell you what other people had said um but lots of similar feeling also, lots of you who were doing the big project, who were learning colour work or who were trying to learn more, um, you know, the next rung up on the ladder in terms of of um, your knowledge and going that extra mile to learn more and do more while we were in this forcibly slowed period. And also, that is incredible. And I just think that's brilliant. I have sort of done a bit of that but with sewing um i have sewn quite a few items i was given a sewing machine um last year and i have made a few things with it and hadn't you know just didn't think i had the patience thought i tried a few things i tried a few versions of the same pattern and found that i just was struggling with it and didn't have the patience and then i i got another pattern and it's the Scout Tea by Grainline Studios and that is a fantastic pattern. That was the pattern for me that was like, yes, you can do this um, and you can create a, a garment in a day. And um, so, yeah, I've made a few Scout Teas, three of them, I think, now. Um, I've also bought the Maya pattern by Marilla Walker. Um, and I'm going to try making a dress next when, once we've moved and all that. Um so that's been nice. It's been nice to learn skills in those ways. And I have found that, you know, the time of COVID has been, if you can take anything away from it, that for me, 
being made to slow down and enjoy that slowness has been good. Not putting pressure on myself to really do anything big, but maybe challenging myself a little, certainly in terms of the sewing, has been good. It's been good. And, I, and I've read more, as I said at the beginning, I've done quite a bit of reading. and um, So, yeah, for me... I'm very glad that I asked that question last time of how you're finding it. I find a lot a lot of you were feeling very similar. There were a few comments on the website, though. Um, Carol said that she was thinking about how grateful she was to her mother and her grandmother for teaching her how to knit and her Auntie Betty for encouraging her to purl. Um, she said, knitting is my safe space, my sane place, my normal place, normal with marks around it because who knows what's normal these days uh jillian finley cool um said that through coronavirus she's been inspired to tidy up her workroom and make room for make room for some more items i think it was fiber in particular uh, and thinking more about how she can use orphan balls of wool um, to create from and I think that's something that maybe we've all kind of thought about how we can um, stash down maybe or use the stash we have she'd been suffering from designer's block um, and she'd said that crafting in the time of corona had meant that she'd been been unblocked and with a vengeance um, which is a, a really nice way to think about it Nicola B commented on the website and said when lockdown started she actually was excited about all the free time that she was going to have um, and thought that long neglected jobs would get done but she said she not really factored in the fact that she was going to be working from home full time and actually wasn't going to have as much free time as she thought um, and she said the reality of the situation hit her so she said that she's finding a way to adapt to that slower pace of life that I was saying and not feeling like you have to be busy all of the time um, and enjoy having the time that she does have for craft. And again, that's it. It's all about adapting, isn't it? Whilst we may be coming out of lockdown and, and, and other areas might be going into lockdown, we have to find ways to adapt and change. It's a new frontier. I said last episode, I'm not calling it the new normal because what the fuck is normal? Normal is a problematic word, but it is a new frontier. Um, and that also means... The things that we do normally that haven't been affected directly by coronavirus also change. Um, and let's and working from home, you know, if any of you out there have had to learn to work from home, I think you can agree it's hard learning to work from home. And I would say as someone now who is um, my work Parts of my job are reopening and I go into work two days a week and I work from home three days a week. And if more of you will be doing that soon, can I just say, be very kind to yourself because learning to work in this new frontier, going back to work is as exhausting as learning to work from home was. You know, it takes a lot um, just seeing people in real life again, being socialised more than you have been, it takes a lot out of you. So I would say that to everybody, no matter what your work is, um, be prepared to feel 
tired where you wouldn't have normally felt tired and be prepared to, you know, get used to that again, because it does take a bit of getting used to. Jackie Fear said, um, something good has come out of this mess. The Martin story, Bronte pattern uh, that she was making has finally had some progress on it. That's really good. Carol said, weirdly, when this started, I thought I would be fine. I have knitting, spinning, quilting, a myriad of other things to keep me going, but it didn't work out that way. Yep, couldn't concentrate on anything annoyingly. I hit on the whole, turning a negative into a positive, and I've been digging deep and finishing off lots of unfinished objects. Quilts with bindings needing hand-sewn, two knitted shawls that needed finishing, all sorts of projects that I can't understand why they became abandoned for so long. Again perfect way to turn around on this whole situation isn't it um thank you thank you so much for for reaching out and for for saying how much you felt this felt similarly to me and were echoing that um the feelings that I was having anyway um friends I've spoken for long enough and um I got to get back to organizing things and packing things and throwing things away um I don't know when the podcast will will return it's usually about this time of year that I take a hiatus um so I'm not going to make any promises that I'll be back next month um there is still Zvartblaz and there is still Shropshire and there is still Whiteface Woodland wool exploration to do this year um but if we don't get to it this year we'll carry on into 2021 you know, I'm not putting pressure on to to get to that. Although I still am very grateful to Louise of last year who decided we were going to do fewer breeds this year because um, that worked out. Um, so, yeah, if you're continuing with your wool exploration, please do. Um, I will put a link to the Google form in the show notes for this episode if you're not able to access Ravelry to... Um, find the link and if you're not able to access Ravelry to chat I hear you I feel feel the same so until whenever I'm back at the mic again take very good care bye for now